You may be seated. I'll ask you a question this morning. What is the right way to worship, to worship God? When I was raised in the Catholic Church, I was taught many rituals. That when you enter the church building, there was a pool of holy water, and you dip your hands in the water and make the sign of the cross. And then when you entered in, furthermore, you got to your aisle. As you got to the, the edge of the aisle, you had to genuflect, make the sign of the cross, and then enter in. And then when you prayed, you had to make sure that your hands pointed up towards God, prayed like this. And then when you received communion, you had to put your hands directly like this to go receive the bread. Make sure you say amen. And then on your way out, you look where they keep the Eucharist and you genuflect again, make the sign of the cross, and you exit. Now, I'm not, I'm not making any slight on Catholic rituals. There are actually many good intentions behind these things. But it left the impression in my young mind that there was, there was a very specific and there was a very right way that we ought to worship God. Perhaps you have heard the term, the worship wars. Maybe you haven't. If you haven't, it describes the very sad battle that many congregations have faced over the last 30, 40 years uh, over worship style. Do we use choir and hymns or do we use contemporary music in a band? Do we wear robes in formal attire or do we go more informal? Do we use liturgical elements in prayers or do we just use free-form prayer? And the sad reality is that congregations, I can tell you story after story, of congregations that have literally died over fighting the worship war. They have created disunity and dissension and they have fought with each other and their church, churches end up dying because they fought over the worship wars. The worship wars have been horrible for the body of Christ, but I think they were trying to answer an important question. What is the right way to worship God, the Creator? See, worshiping God is it's what we are made to do, so, so rightly worshiping Him ought to be one of the central focuses of our lives, right? What does it mean to worship God rightly in a way that pleases Him and brings Him honor? This is a crucial question that for many years uh, in the church, especially with the worship wars, that we have frankly missed the boat on. And the prophet Amos, who was concerned, was very concerned with the right worship of God. You know, we're in a sermon series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Uh, we started off with Hosea talking about uh, God's faithfulness to us and that image of marriage. Last week we talked about Joel and how to have a revival. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about Amos. And I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to, to the book of Amos and turn to chapter 5 because we're going to be spending most of our time there. And Amos's insights and instructions are going to help us rightly worship God today. They're not just instructions for back then, they help us today as well. And as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of context. Amos was a shepherd of some sorts from the southern kingdom of Judah. And he was called to travel up north to preach to the northern kingdom of Israel. And this would kind of be like someone traveling from the Union to go to the Confederacy and preach a message on God's judgment on slavery and racism. It would be really unpopular and would not be accepted by many people. And so Amos was called to go to the northern kingdom of Israel to preach this unpopular message about the people's worship. Amos, he was just a, a blue-collar worker. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a priest. In fact, he wasn't even a prophet when God called him to go. He was a regular guy. But God called him to go give a message. And at that time, to many, things in Israel were pretty good. Under King Jeroboam II, uh, he had gained many military victories, and so he brought in access to new trade routes. 
So new money was coming in. The economy was growing. And certain people were becoming very, very wealthy. And just so happens, these very wealthy people were also very religious. They offered sacrifices to God very frequently. In modern terms, these folks, they, they loved going to church. They were there and the doors open. They, they were at the Sunday night service. They were at the Wednesday night prayer group. They were in the small group. They loved their worship service. They loved their hymn sing. They loved their choral anthem. They loved their worship night. I mean, this is the people, they were very, very religious. But to Amos, the people's worship was all wrong. And God speaks through Amos. And look at verses 21 through 23 with me. This is God speaking to the people. He says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I can't stand the stench of your solemn assemblies. Even if you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. I will have no regard for your fellowship offerings of fat and cattle. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Whew. That is intense stuff, isn't it? God says to the people, your worship stinks. I can't stand the stench of it. I don't even want to listen to it. Take away the noise. Your worship's all wrong. Well, why? Why is the people's worship all wrong? And what would make it right? Look at verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. You see, this is what God really wanted. And he says justice, and justice is really about making sure we love others rightly and that they're treated justly and fairly. And righteousness is all about living rightly in all of God's ways. And both are concerned with our treatment of others, especially the poor, needy, the oppressed, the foreigner, the downtrodden. And so this combination of justice and righteousness, this is what God is saying. This is what it means to rightly worship me. And I want to give you a sentence that kind of helps frame what I'm saying today. Right worship is a movement of righteous living and righteous love toward the right God. Right worship, it's a movement of righteous living and righteous love toward the right God. You know, Israel's worship was, was unacceptable to God for many reasons. And these are lessons that we can learn from this period of history so that we can learn how to worship God rightly today. So let me break this down a little bit. Point number one, right worship requires righteous living. Right worship requires righteous living. And what I mean by righteous living, it's a life that's committed to God's right and just ways. It's a life that's committed to God's right and just ways. Look at Amos 2.7 on the screen. He's talking about these people. He says, they trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. See, at this time, unrighteous and unjust living was, was rampant. It was common. There was social injustice everywhere. There were certain rich people, this, uh, they were taking land from farmers so that they could build wealthier and bigger estates. Uh, the merchants in the town square, what they would do is they would, they would change the weight a little bit so that you got less crop, and then they would charge higher prices so people were getting less for what they were uh, spending. And things were getting so bad that people had to sell themselves literally into slavery so that they could stay out of poverty. And meanwhile, all this is happening, the rich pursued more and more luxury, nicer things. And on top of that, judgment in the courts uh, at the city gate, they would often favor the rich over the poor. Bribes were accepted by the judges. And unjust taxes were leveled against the poor that they simply could not afford. And on top of all that, 
People were mistreating each other, not loving their neighbor, living in greed and being unconcerned. Certainly, man, good things we don't have any of these problems today. Otherwise, this would just be not applicable. Whew. But look at verse 14 and 15, what Amos says in chapter 5. He says, Seek good, not evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. You see, right worship requires a, requires a turning away from all evil practices, actually hating it. And righteousness describes this overall way of life that's committed to doing what is right in every circumstance, no matter what. It includes both refraining from doing wrong, treating others harshly, and committing to doing what is right. In fact, even above and beyond that. And I want to pull in a little bit of help from one of the major prophets here, a guy named Ezekiel, because he describes a righteous person really well. And he starts out by saying a righteous person does not worship idols. They worship God. They're, they stay sexually pure. And then he continues in verses 7 through 9. He says, the righteous man he's talking about, he says, does not oppress anyone, but returns what he took and pledged for a loan. See, he's refrained from doing wrong. He's doing right. He does not commit robbery, but he gives his food to the hungry and provides clothing to the naked. He does not lend to them at interest or take a profit from them wrong. He withholds his hand from doing wrong and judges fairly between two parties. He does right. He follows my decrees and faithfully keeps my laws. That man is righteous. He will surely live, declares the sovereign Lord. That's righteousness. A life, that's right worship. A life committed to righteousness. And Amos said the Israelites' worship was not accepted by God because they were not committed to living in that way. And really, this is a lesson the Israelites should have learned by then. About 200 years prior to this, King Saul and his army, they were told by God to destroy everything the Amalekites had when they were in war with them. And uh, they were supposed to destroy the cattle and all their possessions. But Saul and his army, they decided to keep some of the best animals, which they claimed was to worship God with. And we pick it up the story in 1 Samuel 15. It says, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. You see, this is a huge lesson in the Old Testament. And in fact, it's a lesson that Jesus is still trying to get the people in the New Testament times to understand. That God wants obedience. He wants a righteous life more than sacrifice. God wants obedience more than a worship service. God wants obedience more than our devotions. And the wisdom tradition sums it up this way in Proverbs 21.3. Doing what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. A life committed to righteousness is right worship. So God wants righteous living more than a song. He wants righteous living more than a tune well played. He wants righteous living more than a worship service well orchestrated. More than anything, God is pleased when his people live righteously. Because right worship is a movement of righteous living and righteous love toward the right God. So that's point number one. Point number two, right worship requires righteous love. Right worship requires righteous love. And what I mean by righteous love is it's a life that's committed to loving your neighbor and being especially concerned for those in need. It's, 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 it's a life committed to loving your neighbor and being especially concerned for those in need. 
Flip over one chapter if you have to in your Bibles to Amos 6 and look at verses 4 through 7 with me. Amos is talking about the rich wealthy in his day. And he says, They lie on beds inlaid with ivory, ivory, sprawled out on their couches, and dine on lambs from the flock and calves from the stall. They improvise songs to the sound of the harp and invent their own musical instruments like David. They drink wine by the bowlful and anoint themselves with the finest oils. But do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile as the first of the captives. Your feasting and lounging will end. See, the people Amos is talking to, preaching this unpopular message, he says they have, they have the nicest things. They have the, the nice cars, the nice furniture, the nice food, and much wine. They pamper their bodies with nice oils and lotions. But here's the big problem. They have all that they could want and more, and they have no concern for the ruin of Joseph, which is another name for the people of Israel. They have no concern for how bad things are getting in their own country. They have no concern for the people who are selling themselves into slavery. They're unconcerned about the unjust practices at the city gate. They're unconcerned about the people who don't have food and clothing for their bodies. You see, righteous love causes us to be concerned about the needs of others. And we rightly worship God by how we treat all of his creation, especially those who are in need. You know, Jesus once met uh, two rich men, rich, uh, rich men, two and very close together in the Gospel of Luke. And the first, the first rich man he meets, uh, Jesus tells him to sell all his possessions to give the proceeds to the poor. And if you remember the story, the man walks away sad because he had many possessions. And then Jesus makes his famous proclamation, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom. And how interesting is it, just like a chapter later in the Gospel of Luke, he meets another rich man. It's a man that the prophet Amos would have certainly condemned because he had, he had all these nice things, he was very wealthy, and in fact, he got all of his wealth from cheating other people. He was a chief tax collector, and he would take some of the money off of the taxes he would collect. And in fact, when Jesus went to dine with this man, the people said, why is Jesus hanging out with such a sinful person? This is crazy. And this man's name was Zacchaeus. But somehow, when Zacchaeus met Jesus, it changed everything for this rich man. And maybe it's possible after all. And Zacchaeus said, look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. And Jesus responded, today salvation has come to this house. A rich man gets saved because he had righteous concern for those who were in need. And look how the two different responses Jesus gave to the one rich man, how hard it is. To the other, salvation has come to your house. And how two different responses of the rich. The one who walked away from Jesus sad, and the one who said, look, Lord, I will be concerned. Only one of these rich men knew how to rightly worship. Zacchaeus rightly worshiped because he participated in Jesus' movement of righteous love. When you look at Jesus' life, it was a movement of righteous love towards people who were oppressed, who were needy, who were downtrodden, and who needed help. See, right worship, it's a movement of righteous living and righteous love towards the right God. Finally, number three, right worship is all toward the right God. Right worship is all toward the right God. You see, the Israelites, they engaged in all this religious, religious activity, but it wasn't for Yahweh, their God, who had saved them out of Egypt that they did all of it. Look in verse, if you're in chapter 5 still, you're still in that area, look at verse 26, chapter 5, verse 26. He says to the people, 
You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your god, which you have made for yourselves. These are all references to the Assyrian gods of that time. You see, the Israelites, they're worshiping other gods. Now Amos, he was a contemporary with the prophet Hosea. And if you remember Hosea, his big concern was, you're worshiping all these other gods. And that's spiritual adultery. I need your commitment. And so Amos sees the same thing that Hosea did. And I think we all know, we all know our hearts can be led astray to, to worship other things and other things besides God. And we have, to, we have to be careful to guard our worship. As our society gets increasingly connected globally and through the internet and many things, we have to be careful of, of making the same mistake the Israelites did and having this maybe innocent syncretism, if you will. You see, syncretism, it's, it's the combining of incompatible religious ideas and practices. You see, the Israelites, they worshipped Yahweh, their God, but they also worshipped Baal. And they also worshipped the Assyrian gods. And they thought nothing was wrong with that. They didn't think that was a problem. Now, Baal and Molech and these Assyrian gods, they're not really popular anymore, are they? Uh, but uh, there are other gods in our culture. There are other incompatible ideologies and philosophies, secularism, other religions that deny Jesus Christ. They're all, they're all in, increasing. And as Christians, we, we, we might even be tempted to say, well, you know, Jesus is God for me, but he may not be God for you. Friends, that is a contradiction in terms. Jesus is our God. Jesus is Lord. And he has proven it by his resurrection. He has proven to be our God again and again. And we have to stay central on the good news that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, that he was crucified for the sins of all mankind, and that now, as Peter said in Acts, he invites all to repent and put their trust in him, for it's in his name that we find salvation. But for us today, I'm a little bit less concerned about that. I'm more concerned about another thing. I'm more concerned about the movement part, about the toward part. Does our, does our, I'm concerned whether or not our worship moves us toward God or perhaps maybe even away from God. We might ask, how could worship move you away from God? Good question. And I think maybe Amos was asking the same thing. How could the Israelites worship God so frequently, offer their sacrifices so continually, go to the festivals like Passover and Tabernacles, and, and yet have all of this and yet be so off the mark of what God required of them? And in modern terms, modern terms how, could, how could people go to worship, hear sermons, do their devotionals, know their Bibles, and how could they do all that and yet be so off the mark of what God requires for his people? Doesn't that sometimes happen today? You see, I believe this can happen because sometimes our worship keeps us comfortable in our current way of life. It keeps us comfortable in our current thinking and living. There are some commentators on this passage in Amos. They said, that, listen to this. They said, it was because the Israelites were so religious that they did not repent. Isn't that interesting? It was because they were so religious that they did not repent. Wow. How is that possible? How can our worship keep us from rightly worshiping God? And I think it can happen like this. You come to worship, and that kind of fulfills your God requirement for the week. You check, you check the God box off in your life and say, that's, that's good, and you just kind of leave God there. And maybe you come to worship, and maybe you have a, a moderate amount of, of guilt about your life. Maybe, maybe you know there's a lack of love for God or a lack of love for other people, or maybe there's an area you know you need to grow in, but you come to worship, and you hear about God's amazing love, as you absolutely should, 
and you hear about God's amazing grace, as you absolutely should, but if you're not careful, that can have a narcotic-like effect where it just affirms you as you are and it doesn't transform your life. And this is, I believe, what was happening to, for the Israelites. You see, they, they came in, they, they did this worship, but the right worship didn't move them towards God. And when you move towards God, it's always a move towards transformation. It's always a move towards repentance. It's always a move towards life change. See, right worship has more to do with your life than it does about the actual act of worship. It has more to do with what happens outside these four walls than in them. It has more to do with what you do Monday through Saturday and Sunday than just Sunday morning inside the church. It's about your life, how you honor, how you please, how you seek to please God in his way and follow his ways throughout the week. Friends, God cares less about our style of worship and more about your lifestyle of worship. He cares less about our style of worship and more about your lifestyle of worship. Are you worshiping him with your life? True worship will always remind us that yes, God does love us and we experience his grace, but he loves us enough to not let us stay there. He wants to see transformation. And it's my commitment that my preaching and our worship services will never just make us comfortable in a life of moderate Christianity, of moderate amount of sin, a moderate amount of complacency. Because movement towards God, right worship, is always going to move us towards transformation of the power of the Spirit. And it's my commitment to you to keep doing that. That when you come here, you're going to be moved towards God, and you're going to be moved towards life change and repentance. And as Jesus said, this happens daily. We take up our cross. We deny ourselves. To rightly worship God means that we, that we move towards the God of the Bible, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And that this move requires our continual taking up our cross daily. And giving ourselves to him. Because right worship, it's this movement of righteous living and righteous love towards the right God. So Amos, he prophesies judgment to the people because of how wrong their worship was. But as is usual with the case of the prophets, he ends on a note of hope for the people. In Amos 9.11, look what he says. It was our scripture reading for today. He says, In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And we'll rebuild it as it used to be. See, Amos, he's giving the people hope. David's fallen shelter. The rule of King David, the Davidic rule over the people, when all was right and well and good, he says, I'm going to restore that rule. What is Amos doing? He's pointing us forward. He's pointing us forward when to the, the messianic rule of the new King David is coming. And I will restore my people. I will restore the kingdom. He is pointing to our King Jesus who will restore the kingly Davidic rule over his people and rebuild the people once again and restore us to right worship. And friends, Jesus did come, forgiving us of all our unrighteous living, yet calling us to a movement of righteous love and living towards others. This movement called the kingdom of God, where as, it, as humanity itself gets caught up into this movement that's going across the world and it's bringing justice and righteousness like a never-failing stream, like a rushing river, a rush of living water over humankind. Friends, may we get caught up in this movement. May you get caught up in this stream of living water, of righteous living and righteous love towards God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. God, we do desire to rightly worship you. God, I pray that everything that we do here today would move us
towards you, towards rightly worshiping you throughout the week. May this be the, the starting point where everything we do Monday, Monday through Saturday is going to be changed and transformed because of what you've done here. Change us, Lord. Revive us, Lord. Bring us new life. And help us to rightly worship you with all that we say, all that we do, and how we care for and treat others. In Jesus' name, amen.